I mean, at this point, it just looks like she's enjoying herself. Like this is not. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, we are recording. Ooh, baby, I don't wanna be alone tonight. Ooh, baby, I just wanna listen to a podcast that I like. Ooh, baby, it's cool cross the exes. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome, Welcome back episode. across the X's episode. Oh, why don't you cut me off? Is this is the episode of cutting Anjali off while she's talking. <laughs> Solid start. Solid start to the episode. <laughs> why don't you go ahead? Welcome back to another episode of Cross the X's. This is episode 13, which is also unfortunately the last episode of the season. We know we've been a bit all over the place recently in terms of our schedule and we're really sorry for that. That's what happens when you have a homegrown podcast and term <laughs> starts or jobs become busier. I really I really like the word homegrown. It's such a nice way of saying what it actually is. It Time is pass. what it is. We will stick to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we will continue to call this. Um, and much sticking, yeah sticking true to our great ideas of professionalism and promotion we have chosen the last episode of our first season to bring in our first guest yes we are so, very excited to introduce um but before that just quickly we'd like to say that um before we even started this podcast ananya and i knew for a fact that there were some subjects we felt very passionately about and we knew for a fact that an episode on that topic would just not cut it so we wanted to make them a series so for instance mental health gender uh, our experience uh, as the diaspora in another country etc you know these became kind of uh, topics we wanted to spend longer on so if you haven't already heard episode 12 please do hear it because in that we talk about our own experience with our mental health uh, issues both yep. ananya and me and uh, now in for this episode I'm very very excited to um, introduce our guest today. Wait, let me Anjali. let me do the drum roll. Let me do the drum roll. Hold on. Okay. Wait to do it after I've said the first name, but go ahead. <laughs> go on. <laughs> It's Anshuma Shetrapal, who is a psychotherapist, a drama and movement therapist, and educated in the field of arts therapies. The founder of the Color of Grey Cells. the co-founder of the arts therapists collab the course director at creative movement therapy association of india the founding board member the vice president of indian association of dance movement therapy and that's it that's the end of the list that's and it i am in awe <laughs> i am in awe and we are very very happy to welcome you so hello how are you today hi i'm very good thank you for having me guys No, no. I mean, it's clearly we are not the ones doing you a favor. Yeah. <laughs> I felt, I felt bad as Anshul was reading out your qualifications. I think like, yeah, she should not be here. Yeah, this is not fair. We, <laughs> as we have made clear, we are just a homegrown podcast. You know, I hate <laughs> you doing are all of that. <laughs> I hate doing this, and I never know where to look. Thank God, it's a podcast, so you can't see me getting flushed, etc. But I hate it. I I'm looking around. Usually, I'm looking at ah, oh, look, fan, look here, look. No, this is great, and I'm also, if I may say so myself, I'm very happy that you sent us the whole list, and because that is rightly who you are. Generally, as women, women, we tend to cut down our qualifications to come off as less threatening, but. 
thank God. Thank God you didn't do that. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, so basically in the previous episode, like I mentioned before, Ananya and I spoke a bit about um, how we have struggled in the past with coming to terms with our own mental health issues. And mm-hmm. um, like I talked about uh, psych- my psychosomatic tendencies and Ananya talked about going on medication and so much more, right? So in that vein, we asked people to ask us questions about this. But before that, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and what it, how would you define your profession to someone who has no idea what, who a creative movement dance and drama therapist is? So essentially, I mean, in the simplest format, and I always like to sort of de-jargonize mental health and make it accessible. That is one of my core principles that I work with. And I think in lieu of that, I just say that, you know, drawing from the capacity of the human mind to make art right? Mm-hmm. That's where it comes from. And, and there is a function why, which is why art has survived millennia, generations, time, space, etc. Mm-hmm. And that function is essentially to make unconscious, intangible aspects of the human experience accessible. Things that are otherwise not being able to be art- articulated through common language. Right. So dance, movement, drama, visual art, all of these simply become mediums in order to be able to access that part of the human experience. And uh, as an arts therapist, what I end up doing is being the medium for that, being the facilitator that enables a safe and comfortable space for you to be able to uh, get in touch with your own art making faculties. That is yeah. that is quite interesting. Um, also, because I mean, I should mention, I think I, sh- I can speak for the both of us when I say we are thoroughly underinformed about this field. So far, I, while I have some idea about what dance movement therapy would be, a large part of me was perhaps assuming unjustifiably so that it has something to do with movement and physical movement and some sort of exercise in that sense, releasing some kind of natural happy endorphins or serotonin or something. And is that, am I wildly off base or is that a part of it? You know, that's the beauty of it, that nobody is wildly off base. It is everything and anything that you can imagine it to be. Mm-hmm. As soon as the words hit your perspective, your context, whatever it is that emerges, mm-hmm. if it is movement release that you require, then it will function as catharsis. Mm-hmm. If it is metaphor that you require in, in order to understand something that is otherwise undesirable and unacceptable and un- inaccessible, it can do that. So it will go to, to anywhere. We work with children with uh, concepts as motor skills and simplistic uh, elements of having to work with, uh, you know, basic movement language, how to develop basic movement language. From there to like complex CPTSD and really difficult uh, post-traumatic stress work in neurotypical or even psychosis. So there mm-hmm. is a range here, which is, which is why there is no one definition. Each practitioner mm-hmm. ends up defining it according to the population they work with. So um, I have, I already have so many questions without, yep. and these yep. are my own questions. <laughs> uh, but basically my first one would be, and this might be really stupid to ask, but how does this function as a form of therapy? I mean, I understand what you're saying about um, accessing the unconscious, using the metaphor, whatever works, and that's brilliant. But I'm just trying to understand how is this, do you work on a one-to-one basis? Is it a group thing? Uh, is it both? And how can that become a form of therapy essentially is what I'm trying to understand. 
so essentially what would occur is it depends once again on the context right so if i'm working with a group uh, it could be an organization it could be a school it could be an institution and then the goals are set and co-created amongst the organization me and the client at the onset you define certain goals they may or may not completely change when you actually start working mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you have to you know in psychotherapy you can't really work like with such solid goals you have to mm-hmm. keep room for intuition room for fluidity of, of that course, yes. yeah but uh, but that's where it essentially draws from a lot of uh, dance movement therapy is group work because you shared movement seems to have a very different impact mm-hmm. the concept of sharing space sharing movement sharing breath um seems to have a different impact but that is not to say some wonderfully rich individual work also happens mm-hmm. uh, so the same practitioner would see certain clients as an individual in the same institution and then as a group sometimes Mm-hmm. uh and it could be different people it could be open groups closed groups unfortunately the reason this this these things gets confusing is because it's a very subjective field mm-hmm. so i'm also as you can see stepping away from really giving you very <laughs> yeah. clear cut yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> but but understandably so obviously yeah. is it yeah. in that sense is it perhaps more subjective than uh, the form of therapy that we are more aware of the regular one on one therapy is it perhaps more subjective than that absolutely there are certain tenets that are here in dance movement therapy they have such as the field of psychology right in the field of psychology you have behaviorism you have mm-hmm. psychoanalysis you have various kinds of approaches to psycho uh, and each one has its own defined tenets do's and don'ts okay. in dance movement therapy now look at this now dance movement therapy meets behaviorism that in itself is a school dance mm-hmm. movement therapy meets psychoanalysis is another school so on so forth so and all these things inform it but don't really govern it using the mm-hmm. same tenet because the right. body gets it yeah um actually if i may have just one more question Yeah. yeah and this i I'd, i'd hate to bring the conversation back to covid every time but it's just that's just the world we live in now i have embraced it it's going to happen in 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 a world where so much of and i can only speak for myself and a few people that i've spoken to so much of our anxiety is coming from our lack of ability to move our lack of mm-hmm. ability to explore spaces or be able to find our footing in places that are new and give that sense of excitement to us does that make your field of expertise or make it essentially does it make it a tougher practice or does it make it more essential and even perhaps more effective i don't know about tougher or effective but definitely most relevant i haven't ever had a time in india hmm. where i have said this and not met with an element of really are you sure you want to do this <laughs> or a little bit of oh so there's dance and drama what is this this seems very non serious mm-hmm. or is this about actors or dancers now oh, when i say dance movement <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so it's definitely much more relevant now i feel like there is a, a element of not being able to distract the mind mm-hmm. uh, of not having access to movement and spaces like you just spoke of that has gotten the concentration to the somatic response of the body to anxieties that are present in our environment Mm-hmm. and so that is unfortunately this is the best time for us <laughs> this is <laughs> you can scream it from the sidelines that this yeah. is important and yet nobody is doing that thing yeah you, you know <laughs> yeah, when, when we post this episode we're just going to put the headline anshuma said this is the best time for us <laughs> has this going to be the headline of the episode <laughs> do it i am 
do it because honestly so many of us have been waiting to have these conversations on the sidelines mm. screaming guys this is important and it's not just body and movement it's also art suddenly you see everybody very interested in making art mm. it's no longer a capitalist product outside of your access suddenly everybody is like i'm buying paint kit and movement this <laughs> and that yeah yeah, yeah. It's so it's a, um, it's a great time guys it's a great time fun time <laughs> what a time to be alive um so another question that i have and this maybe comes from a personal um kind of feeling that i have about being in group settings don't you think that the group dynamics kind of influence people's people's real personalities and who they might be if they met you say one on one versus if they meet you in a group like i know myself for example if you if you ask me to express something in a group setting i would be very i would be hyper aware of how i'm being perceived right and i might yep, then yep. change the way i'm expressing something or maybe even maybe not even be fully authentic right so do you think that kind of uh misses the point of what you as a therapist are trying to get at or is that does that add a layer of something that you can possibly dissect um you know in a person like first of all i mean i know the listeners can't hear us but i just want to point out the body language already that you when you were speaking about it i kind of knew the finish of your <laughs> sentence because it was really narrow and low and all of that so yeah sorry <laughs> i'm confessing but yeah. <laughs> i want you i want to invite you to just breathe and just sort of expand it's all right we're not you're not here. having a therapy session <laughs> no no we're please no. <laughs> right well done this is good this is good Yes. <laughs> so so uh, I I would say that you you you're bang on. I mean the thing is the group dynamic who you end up being uh, in isolation may be different but it is relevant. It is relevant to know that this is what happens to me in a group. Okay. And then to have a safe and comfortable space to be able to talk and dissect uh mm-hmm. and gain insight out of that. So yeah. the group is becoming a microcosm of society there. and all your relational aspects that otherwise also need looking into can start playing out in the group that becomes very rich field for you to gain from yeah. so but the therapist does this very gently and very subtly so when you walk in the expectations there are no expectations of the client it's not like they're like where is your dance degree when you walk in <laughs> it's done very subtly you know Yeah. No, so, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that explains it. Feel free to stop me if this is a question that is already from our listeners. But we discussed this. Anshu and I were discussing this yesterday. Uh, unlike conventional psychotherapy, this is not a field that is very widely known. I personally know you and maybe two other people who are actively involved or even know about it. How does one get into being a creative movement therapist? How does that happen? How does that progression as a career happen? Also, before you re- before you respond, Anshu, I know you have a lot of feelings about this question, so please don't hold back. Yeah, please. To, yes. You need to vent if, about if I, how. If I've the, said, also call me out, and if I'm saying anything stupid, please. And I was gonna say that before you respond, I know you have some feelings about this question in terms of how the profession is treated often in India and in, and in other countries. And if you want to respond to that and acknowledge that as well, please feel free and don't hold back. Yeah, and uh, could you guys hear the doorbell in the background? Yes, yes, we could. Yeah, that would be my food that's arrived. So, just do you want to go get it? No, but yeah. Ansh- Ansh- do you want to just say your bit again once the food is in? Sure. This is super professional. Ansh- Ansh- As you can see, this is my one. Food. This is my one against uh-huh. your meal. 
guys, I'm sorry. Don't make me the I'm... couples therapist here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do not refrain. <laughs> you know what? I'm keeping this in just this bit. <laughs> I'm happy for that for people to hear the hypocrisy. And I I refuse to engage. <laughs> you shouldn't engage also. I don't want you to. I'm concerned. I really want you. to actually. I mean, just just uh, just do you understand how tantalizing it is for me to sit and analyze this even the name the exes. Do you understand? <laughs> That where I could go with this and how much I could play with this. There is, I I, just I don't think that's a box we can open even in it's one. Really not. <laughs> there is. Let's not. Let's not open that Pandora's box. No, right. uh, let it be. It's fine. Fine, fine. If But you're ever a happy little uh, bubble of <laughs> this friendship. What else about your career growth? <laughs> okay, is Ajay saying that thing again, or should I? Do no, that? no, it's fine. Go on. Okay, uh, I think any psychotherapy, if mm-hmm. if you are to be a therapist in the field, it requires a certain framework for you to be able to function. Right. Right. And that framework is uh, the supportive framework which is required by any profession. Now, a lot of professions can just assume that framework. and a lot of professions have masses building uh, coming together to build that framework mm-hmm. uh unfortunately or fortunately however you want to put it because also it puts me in a position which is uh, has a lot of scope that's why the fortunate bit uh, yeah. when i've come back to a country which doesn't recognize this profession it gives me a lot of scope personally mm-hmm. right uh, but uh, but unfortunately it also uh, means that i have to defend my position uh every single time i start uttering anything mm-hmm. the list i sent you Angel, as much as it is about claiming space uh, and personally i may not want to claim that much space but it is mm-hmm. a larger allegiance to the profession that oh, i be taken seriously mm-hmm. and, and therefore this legitimizes that yeah right so there isn't any mental health bill essentially holding us together in that format in a way that we are recognized now we are mm-hmm. uh, very un- very very recently we are recognized but still not as full skill therapists and uh, there's still a hierarchy in the mental health field in india which is uh, there's a lot of fairly political stuff that's going on mm-hmm. and with all of that going on it becomes very hard to function when there's no framework holding you and i see right. wonderful mind beautiful minds quitting the field and doing literally anything else because of the lack of that framework and that breaks my heart so what would you suggest to someone as first steps towards this profession within the recognized framework what can they do i think people need to be able to reach out and those of us who are stakeholders to a certain perspective have taken the um, onus of being educators and you know people in associations etc are really open to this we really want a critical mass in mm-hmm. this profession until we reach a critical mass there isn't going to be any regulation or anything in this very unregulated sector mm-hmm. right. so so you're helping us it's not like this is so don't hesitate in reaching out if you do have ambitions to be a creative movement therapist dance movement therapist drama therapist whatever it is look us up on linkedin look us up we're all present and working in the same country in india um and even outside the country so reach out and find out we will put uh we will in our description boxes and wherever actually we write anything about this episode we will mention details of unshoes uh organization and if if any of you want to reach out just feel mm-hmm. free because 
uh, even if it's for uh, and here i don't want to crowd your uh, <laughs> messaging here but like just saying that please if you have any serious questions or serious kind of uh, conversations towards a profession that you want to have then you can write to her is that okay yes. to say absolutely perfect um okay. with that shall we head towards our audience question yes we may and uh, oh i honestly some of these questions are too smart for me so i don't even know what the answer will be but <laughs> so the first one comes to us from toronto and it is an extremely heavy question uh so best of luck to you anshu um so the question that this listener has asked is how do you deal with death as an adult when your parents never allowed you to process it as a kid and they followed it up with a disclaimer saying not sure if this falls under mental health but i have been searching for this answer forever hmm well first of all i'm going to reach out to the listener to just say thank you for uh, the vulnerability because you know i think it's a question that many might hold and hmm. to be the voice that brings that forward is important and uh, i i don't know of a question that doesn't fall under the purview of mental health um, that's fair yep so so i'm i'm you know both of you have also been practicing your statements and questions with this might be stupid this and i and i really want to take that away altogether uh from this uh, but from 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 everything because there there isn't anything that doesn't have that aspect and any curiosity is a curiosity around mental health anyway in my in my world hmm. um grief is grief is complex grief is complex grief is subjective grief is cultural grief is political grief is social grief is uh familial uh, grief is transgenerational and it depends on where you're situated at what uh, point of time uh in which country where you were born with what uh, that you're allowed or not allowed a context for your grief um and uh, grief will often be tried to be codified um mm-hmm. and people say grief is cyclical there is a particular pedagogy to grief i am not uh, of that opinion so i wouldn't be able to say that there was definitely something that happened that should have happened differently but i'm sorry that you feel that the grief that you encounter now was interrupted as a child is what i'm hearing and uh, you know just to speak to that that when grief is interrupted as a child it doesn't end up being um understood and it doesn't end up having a structure grief requires a structure it's too overwhelming as a child or as an adult to uh, not have ritual to not have structure to be able to process to be able to held uh, be held through that process so all i'm going to say is you know you get to as an adult uh, make your own structure now and don't uh, don't think about what that entails ask of course seek consent from people around you but if it helps to make your own ritual if it helps to come to therapy which could be a ritual mm-hmm. if it helps to do anything that uh, you feel like you need to do make sure you provide yourself enough structures as a adult with agency and grief uh, mm-hmm. will grief will stay as long as uh, that doesn't happen and you know it will it will it will it will soften if you meet it is all else thanks anshu that that's beautiful that was a, that was a really good response yeah. <laughs> i'm not a therapist but i would like to add that 
the fact that you're aware, the listener is aware of their being unprocessed yeah. mm-hmm. uh, emotion there is, I think, a step towards working through it's it. It's definitely admirable. And also just to add to that uh, and to speak to it from a very Indian perspective, there are a lot of conversations that I felt are not had with mm-hmm. kids. There is not, uh, it's not a partnership of, well, equals is a long stretch. I'm talking even people who are remotely close in the kind of stature that we, our parents treat us with. We're not subject to certain conversations. We're not subject to certain secrets, ideas. So as we grow older, I've, I have found in myself and other people around me, they don't, they've never had that agency. So when they do get it, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. They don't know how to use their newfound agency to process things in their life because they've never had to do it as kids. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wonder if our previous previous conversation of uh, DMT and other methodologies can come in there where mm-hmm. grief through art uh, is a very accessible thing, accessible way of accessing these mm-hmm. grief, right? You're not, if you if it feels threatening in any way that it would, if I actually access it, most of our anxieties are, what if I feel my feelings? Mm-hmm. And then where will that lead me? But yeah. but if you feel your feelings in a in a particular format in a safer way, it is possible to meet them. It is possible to work through them. Oh my god! I just I have to say this. That is one of the most beautiful descriptions of anxiety I've heard in my life, and it's so accurate. I mean, yeah, I know. The what fear of feeling my feelings. <laughs> oh my god! That is. When you said that, I think something just moved inside me. That was amazingly <laughs> well put. Just brilliant. Thank you. I Good try. <laughs> I'll swiftly move on to the yeah. question that I have from uh, the one listener. So this one listener has sent a plethora of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these come to us from the UK. Uh, they begin by asking, um, are you dance trained? Do you work with autistic children? And if so, have you seen any changes in social behaviors in children or adults with ASC. Okay, so uh, so ASC for those of us uh, who wouldn't know the acronym is the Autistic Spectrum uh, Condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yes, I am dance trained, but dance tra- my dance training has nothing to do with my DMT work. In fact, a lot of my work was about unlearning my dance training to be able to mm-hmm. explore movement from an authentic space rather than from you know movement becoming a product or an aesthetic uh, mm-hmm. deliver delivery to for an audience mm-hmm. is um, came in the way of actually expressing myself through my body using my movement using my breath mm-hmm. so so that uh, just to sort of say yes dance trained but is not necessarily for people who are looking to get into this profession definitely not necessary that you mm-hmm. be dance trained uh, i have in the past worked with children and adults who have had uh, diagnoses of being on the spectrum. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to change that language a little bit, uh, Atul, could you repeat that question for me, the way it was put? Second Do you one. work with autistic children? Ah, there. So, uh, so just, to, just to bring the correct nomenclature uh, here, we, we tend to use, we try now to use uh, people first language. So I'm going to change that into children with autism. Or okay. children, yeah. So, so anything, you know, because we don't, uh, you know, we don't say the same thing about someone who's got a physical illness, right? You don't mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. yeah. So same. Yeah. You don't say you don't say feverish children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your child who has fever. 
fair enough yeah that's absolutely yeah absolutely correct yeah. no but that that's a fair point yeah and then fine they also ask uh, wait were you done with that no the changes oh. element uh, we don't work with the with the program in direction in, in mind necessarily that there should be change for the work to gain success but yes definitely i mean there have been motor skill changes eye contact changes uh, changes of all sorts uh, depending on uh, the length and magnitude of the work that has occurred Mm-hmm. Uh, DMT doesn't limit you uh, if whatever your capacity of your body's movement is, we'll work with that. Even okay. if it's just eye contact and breath, we can work with that. Fair enough. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and then they ask, uh, do you think rapport develops with clients over the sessions? If so, do you think there are particular aspects of DMT that help? Uh, absolutely. We work very gently, like I was speaking to you earlier, with uh, concepts that are like one of my colleagues uh, likes to speak of it as seeding movement. Mm-hmm. Like there is a seed that is, and then you mm-hmm. gently see where does the plant or tree want to go. Mm-hmm. So right. when you first come in, there's no expectation of the client to be performative, mm-hmm. right? There's this, hey, where are you at? And how do you want to express that? Mm-hmm. So that's similarly for uh, any client, whether on the spectrum or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the last part of that? Sorry, I missed it. Uh, do you think there are particular aspects of DMT that help? in building the rapport rapport building is i think rapport building is a is a thing in itself it's a relational space which may or may not work even no matter how much training you have mm-hmm. so it's often like getting the right therapist is getting the right uh, it's like shopping you yeah. have to look around a bit you have to kind of like figure out and it's painful shopping huh? i will admit uh, because you are often going there now this is this is both ways because you're often going there only after you've reached a particular point yeah and you don't have the patience to shop around listen that was and, all of my 2020 so i fully agree with and, that and the price that you're paying for this shopping is essentially pieces of your mental health yeah but hopefully you find something good yeah yeah, yeah. And when you get in to something good, it works magic, right? Sometimes absolutely. Magic. I mean, that's absolutely the experience I think both Arjun and I have had. Yeah. yeah. DMT does help because knowing the body, I'm able to get uh, information which is also being conveyed non-verbally. But yeah. my responsibility is to not start judging that information. Rather, use a method, use that to reflect to the client, is this what's happening? Ah, okay. So it's not about putting you in a box. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know how to read bodies. You are going through this. It's uh, you know, do we want to explore this thing? I suddenly noticed a shift in your movement and when you bent down and started nodding and all of that. No, and I actually know exactly what you mean because my present therapist is also, I think, a movement therapist and sometimes uh, some of her observations are very useful because they have to do with my body language mm-hmm. and um, obviously ends up giving, my body ends up giving her cues that my words are not um so i completely yeah which is something i find lacking because at present the therapy i'm getting is over the internet and it's audio it's not video oh it's not video so there is a distinct change in the quality that i feel therapy because i think she was getting a lot of cues from my physical movement and space occupation which i understand of course it's a limitation but it is something i find lacking right now absolutely Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're conveying a lot of information which is getting missed and that must be frustrating for you as well. Absolutely, yeah. All right, those are all my questions. And I mean, I don't even know where to begin to thank you for this. This I I honestly, I mean, I I knew 
how good you are at your job but this, <laughs> some of the things that we have discussed have really just been amazing i just thank you so it much it was such a learning experience i mean i've yeah. really genuinely i'm not just saying that learned yeah. a lot and um i'm thank you so much for sharing yeah, i want to thank you guys for providing a structure and a space for this really important conversation because in a homegrown podcast you mean <laughs> stop trying to make that happen ashil is not going to happen no in whatever format and and for providing space to not just your curiosities but the curiosities of others i mean i saw the the, the build up to this was about asking and just sometimes just that's what it takes right even if they didn't reach out and they didn't ask us here at that, this point of time yeah, that is a space we generally try to create with our podcast honestly i was going to say that that while we were not have received a lot of questions directly per se i that podcast the previous episode and us putting up this question for hey would you like to ask anything to the mental health professional led to at least seven different conversations i had across platforms with people who actually yep. came out and they said oh my god like yes yep. you know thank you so much for talking Absolutely. about it and you know you cannot over talk about mental health like that will, yeah. that will never happen yeah, yeah. no but but uh, but i do think that uh, there has to be something said to be able to sit through even these the questions mm-hmm. or whatever it's hard and if and of course you stuck around as listeners uh, i'd like to thank you and uh, <laughs> you know because it's hard it's hard for sticking around and no uh, i get it i get it i think it's easier to distract yourself with your phone and especially because of the podcast you know you're like yeah yeah whatever <laughs> yeah. this is playing in the background i uh, know i get it completely but uh, once again i'll just reiterate that we will put uh, um, the email id or something your instagram or contact information uh, exactly for wherever they can reach out yeah sure. and um, just thank you so much thank you so much and arjun i believe so that, that brings us sorry that brings us to the end of the episode and and the season the first season of cross the axis we did it we yeah. got through an entire season dude well done i was not a big fan of the of number 13 of ending on this number but here we are that's okay um, we will make our peace with it yeah we um so just to give you guys a heads up we do have big plans for the season 2 and we have planned a lot of cool stuff that we're going to do and it's probably going to be a lot more professional and a lot more well planned we will try we shall try we will give it our best <laughs> but for now and for a while i am ananya gambhir and i am anshul veg and this has been cross the axis thank you for listening bye